You are cordially invited to the manor in the woods, where an evening of discussion is being held by the O'Brien siblings. Catherine, the encyclopedia. Carolyn, the bookworm. Madeline, the wild card. And Mackenzie, the eclectic. Join them in the study where there will be talk of murder, robbery, deception, and conveniently cloaked figures. So get cozy, pour yourself a cuppa, and join us for mostly murder. But sometimes not. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Mostly Murder, But Sometimes Not, a podcast where four siblings talk about fictional crimes. I am hosting today's episode, and my siblings are tagging along for the ride. That's us. They are. That's, I'm Katie. I'm Maddie. And I'm Mac. Cool. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> uh. So for today's episode, we watched a movie called Devil in a Blue Dress um, from 1995. And it goes thusly. Ezekiel... <laughs> known as Easy Rollins, is a World War II vet who was recently fired from his job as a machinist at an aircraft field in Los Angeles. A friend of his, Jappy, finds him some work with a businessman, quote-unquote, named DeWitt Albright, who does favors for his friends. Easy is tasked with finding Daphne Monet, the white girlfriend of a wealthy ex-mayoral candidate. She is known to frequent black establishments, which is where Easy comes in. He goes to an illegal bar and asks around, finding his friend Dupree and Dupree's girlfriend, Coretta. He goes back to their place with them and has sex with Coretta while Dupree is passed out in the next room and then gives Coretta $10 in exchange for Daphne's whereabouts, since the two of them were friends. He goes home early the next morning, does some gardening at his home, which he owns, and is a point of pride with him, and meets with Albright to give him Daphne's location. That evening, he is arrested and brought down to the station, assaulted by the officers, and told that Coretta was found dead that morning, and he is a suspect. They released him after a few hours, and on his walk home, he was approached by the other mayoral candidate, Matthew Terrell. Terrell is also looking for Daphne. Easy goes back home and receives a call from Daphne, asking him to come to see her at a hotel. When he meets up with her, she asks him to drive him to see Carter, with a stop on the way to retrieve a letter that she needs back. They go to a house and find the body of a man that Easy had seen trying to get into the illegal bar. Daphne freaks out and steals the dead man's car and drives away. Easy goes home to find Albright and his men have broken in. Albright is pissed off that the address Easy gave him wasn't good, and they threaten him, but let him go when he says he had seen Daphne. Easy calls a friend of his from Houston named Mouse to come for backup. In the meantime, he goes to Todd Carter's house and discovers that he had not enlisted Albright to find Daphne. This time, when Easy goes home, he is attacked by Frank Green, the man Daphne was reported to be seeing. Mouse arrives and shoots Frank, wounding him, and he runs away. Mouse and Easy go around town questioning people and go see Dupree, Coretta's boyfriend. Dupree tells them that Coretta had given him a Bible for safekeeping. And Easy finds the letter inside the Bible, which is actually pictures of Matthew Terrell molesting children. Dupree and Mouse are drunk 
and go to sleep. So Easy goes home alone. Daphne is there and confesses that Terrell was blackmailing her to return the photos and that she was actually mixed race and Frank Green was her brother. Easy and Daphne are attacked by Albright and his men, and Daphne is taken. Easy gets Mouse, and they go to a cabin Albright uses to kill people and kill Albright and his men. Easy takes Daphne to Todd Carter, and she finds out that he and his family actually are not into them being together, and he breaks up with her, even though he loves her, because she is mixed race. And Easy takes Daphne back to her brother's house. Mouse and Easy split the money that Daphne gave them for the photos, and Easy decides to become a private investigator. All right. That's it. Very yeah. good. That's succinct. Thank you. I tried. <laughs> so. Great job. Thank you. Uh, this was the first time we had all seen this movie, right? Yep. Yep. Yes. There we go. I had... <laughs> that was so easy. <laughs> I had barely heard of it, actually. I, I think I knew the title at the end. Yeah, I had never heard of it. Um, I know that it's based on a book by Walter Mosley, um, who is currently an author for Hachette, which is the company I work for. Just full cool. disclosure. Hmm. To anybody Exciting. there. Yeah. He was on our list of black mystery authors that we posted about in June this year. Yeah. He's a he's, big one. He is. He's very prolific. Um, and he actually has a series of novels with um, Easy Rollins as the main character. And if this movie had done better in the box office, they would have made more of those books into movies. But it did not. So Aww. it did not. I know. Sad. I was really kind of bummed when I read that. Like I know, like this would be such a fun series of movies. I I have to admit there are a few things that this movie does differently than most of the other noirs. Well, yeah. Can we also address that this is what the third or fourth movie that takes place in like 1950 LA? I I that was one of my points. Plus Every American noir novel or movie or play or anything that has to do with the noir detective especially in the 40s and 50s, it's always either New York or L.A. Crimes don't happen anywhere else. Maltese Falcon was San Francisco. There's no other people, right? That's where all the people are in <laughs> the world, in the U.S. Wasn't well, Maltese you... Falcon San Francisco? Yes, it was. I'm just saying it's a little bit suspicious that all the crimes also happen to happen uh, in areas where there are major film distribution companies. Oh, it's just where all the rich <laughs> people are. Like that The was... people who have something to lose. <laughs> well, that was something that I know like I was thinking about in this movie is like Easy lost his job and he needs to pay his mortgage. And so all of these rich people are just like, do what I want and I'll give you money. Like, just go do these things for me. Do all my dirty work. Like just throwing all their money around. All and, of like, them were. Yeah. That's what I said. Like all of the all the rich people were just like, here's a hundred dollars, here's a thousand dollars, here's seven thousand dollars for whatever. And like it's like they think the fact that they have money absolves them of any crimes. Yeah. What what year did this film uh take place? Nineteen forty eight. It took place in nineteen forty eight. Yeah. All right, so seven thousand dollars. 
I have it. $76,872. And 56 cents. I would do a lot for that money. Someone pointed out, yeah, like by the end of it, because he had money from Albright, he had money from Todd Carter, he had money from Daphne. Mm -hmm. I don't think Terrell ever, he offered him cab fare, but he didn't actually take money from him, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, that would be creepy. I did not pick up that vibe. Me and either. I was very upset. I, know. I thought I it when weird. I found out. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole, shocked. this is my adopted son, like, you're like, cool. In my head, I was like, oh, he's a politician. He's probably, like, adopted a child for clout. But it was I not. did think it was weird that he had his son with him in the middle of the night in a car. Yeah. But then I, mean, I, I literally great. didn't think about it. And I... Yeah. When we found out what the so-called letter was, I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, I was not expecting it, and I didn't like it. That was my note, too. My note was, no! (laughs) (laughs) Mine is just four no's. Well, it's not the first time a Bible has shielded pedophile evidence. Yikes. That's a Boston joke, but it's highly inappropriate. (laughs) I don't think it was specific to Boston. Yeah, it was kind of all over. (laughs) But it was. That's where some of the most famous cases in America were of spotlight stuff going on. Yep. Boston Globe. That's so. Let's get back to the devil in a blue dress. Easy Rollins. First of all, I loved the setting. I loved like the 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 location stuff that they had. Like it felt like you were there. Like, the atmosphere was very cool. My second note is literally, I love period movies with, like, a bunch of underlining. <laughs> the cars? Because, yeah. so cool. Like, when I, the like phone the ins- rings, it keeps ringing. Yes. There's there are no answering answer. machines. <laughs> I love the signage. I love the neighborhood. And this is true. I think it says something that it was depicting a time in South Central LA where African Americans were truly pursuing and succeeding at the so-called American dream. And mm-hmm. I know the director kind of wanted to show that. We should point out, the director, who also did the writing, he wrote the screenplay, was black. And he was known for telling all kinds of stories, but also including stories with race and stories without race. Like he was just like, this was a part of life because I wanted to know when I was watching it, if he, if the director was or not, because like some of the things I was just like, this is seemed like almost a stereotype, but then it's like, sometimes the thing is a stereotype because it happened a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess in my summary, I didn't say that Ezekiel is a black man. And that, like, like it's there's a like the the race factor comes into play a lot in this story with Daphne being mixed race, and that's why Todd Carter doesn't want to be with her. Um, and you know, like the people that Easy knows, like he's part of the black community, so he could like he knows people, he can talk to people and find things out that other people couldn't. Yeah, and that's why he was sought out for the job instead of literally any other detective. And I, I like to. Go ahead. I do have to say one thing about the whole, um, the like the fact that Daphne was, I don't know if blackmailed, but she was like 
Carter was brought out of the waste because, uh, race because she was a quarter black. It, I understand why that was a big deal at the time. But for some weird reason, I just got the same reflections of like the movie Clue where uh, Tim Curry said that uh, someone's friends were socialists. Like back then, I understand why that would have been a big deal to people. But nowadays... I don't. I don't know. I feel like most cultural contention around the concept of being a quarter black has faded somewhat in modern times. Yes, Kate. I don't think it was a quarter. I think it was a half. And I think there is still sometimes issues with people being of mixed race. It's maybe not be apparent, but it's no. A, there is definitely it's colorism. They call it. That's the term for it, and it's more in. Like, it's seen, I think, more apparently in the community. Within, yeah. Within the black community. But but I I was watching this just thinking, like, I just hated that, like, that was such bullshit that it's all revolving around the fact that she's mixed race. And it's all, none of this would happen if that didn't matter. But Mac, I think you're wrong because back then it was a very big deal. Like No, no, no. I'm not saying family, it wasn't a big deal back then. It her, was. His Todd Carter's family gave her thirty thousand dollars to go away, and that's thirty thousand dollars back then. Okay, I gotta. Yeah, I was gonna say, Mac, you gotta get your calculations out. But I would, I'm gonna say it's definitely an issue today. Um, I have a friend who is, um, you know, half white and half black, and they have said that they feel like they don't fit into either and has experiences has experienced racism from both sides so yeah. it clearly definitely matters yeah it's I, ma- I, yeah isn't that something that um easy says about daphne like she wanted a place where she could belong yeah yeah that's yeah that's literally the whole thing it's like if you are uh if you belong to multiple communities sometimes those communities feel like you don't belong to them at all and then you end up belonging nowhere. I which didn't, is stupid. I wasn't trying to belittle the experiences of mixed race people nowadays. No. I was just trying to I was just trying to talk about the disparity between how they're treated back then versus how they're treated now. And like, also uh thirty thousand dollars back then was three hundred and twenty two thousand five hundred and thirty two dollars now. Holy cannoli. Wow. Yeah. I definitely I do get what you're saying though, Mac, about how the things that um could disqualify you from society at large like in the 40s would not disqualify you from society at large you wouldn't be blackmailed today is what he's saying like you couldn't be blackmailed necessarily yeah for yeah that i something that i really liked about this movie and the experience of it was seeing all of the the tropes of the noir movie, the noir novel, the noir experience, but like through new eyes, you know, so you have the the guy walking around asking questions, but um, he's like, he's going to all of these like illegal bars and stuff and just saying, Frank Green, Frank Green, like in order to like flush a guy out of the woodwork or like the the damsel in distress versus the femme fatale and all that stuff. Like it was really interesting seeing things with a different perspective it really was yeah and i feel like they did it in a good way i yes i i started looking through this thing 
it has all of the exact same tropes and all the different story beats that you would expect. I even like I started writing them down, you know, the guy does business as usual, client doesn't tell them everything, the investigation hits a snag, the cops butt in, there's a second client meeting where they talk more about it, the detective meets the elusive dame, victim, witness, whatever, they reveal more and run away, the investigation ramps up and they wrap it all up with a big shootout at the end. That's all there. But the way that they frame this thing, first of all, yes, Carrie, pointing out the, the notion that you can flush people out by making enough trouble in their racket. Two, the fact that there was enough of a sense of community that you felt like the guy was – that there were stakes at play whenever he went out to investigate. Like if he goes to a bar, people know him at those bars. It's not – yeah. The other thing that I loved about this was speaking – I hate most noir detectives because you always felt like they were talking down at people and they were trying to talk from a position of undeserved authority. They're always hmm. uh, insufferable white men. Or maybe I'm exactly. just thinking Philip Marlowe. <laughs> I hate him. Exactly, <laughs> Philip Marlowe. But from this one, you know that that's not where he's coming from. He knows that he doesn't have as much societal power as like a white person would have. But he's still doing all the kind of detective work that they would. I agree. I think, Mac, what you said just now about how it had heightened, like... Stakes. Stakes, because because we all, at least most of us, know a little bit about American history. And we know that walking around alone at night as a black man, even now, can be a a heightened reality and dangerous. So I think his interactions with the police in this were so important to show like what like his what reality he was living in and it added like that extra layer onto this typical noir detective like thing because the police might give a white detective a hard time if he's like doing his own thing they might want to like you know but they're not going to beat him up harass him bring him in arrest him constantly necessarily Without, I mean, maybe if Albright was really pushing it, but literally he could just, I mean, I had no trouble believing that they could have arrested him and gotten him tried for murder and found guilty on both counts. Wasn't there a line when he was in the interview room where when they were like, we could put a bullet in your brain and like leave you on the street or something? They told him yeah. they could take him out back, put a bullet in his brain and no one would care. They yeah. said, they said, uh, they vaguely referred to when they were speaking to him on his porch that, you know, evidence comes up all the time. Maybe we'll have people search your house. Uh, I feel like that was a thinly veiled threat that they were just going to plant something there so that they could get him. <laughs> I don't think there casual. was a veil. I mean, it was just literally telling him. It was so casual how they, yeah, we're like, we're going to frame you for this murder if you don't come up with something or if you um don't cooperate or uh, yeah so just the casual police uh corruption and brutality was i feel like important to like the you know themes of the movie absolutely even when they brought him in to sign that paper and they were like if you can write yeah like, that was all bright that, that was i mean that wasn't the cops but oh, it was absolutely true. racist <laughs> i was like oh, I, yes 
But there was still a moment later when he was driving Daphne around in the back of the car and there was just a patrol car by the side of the road. And even I felt tense at that. I felt, yeah. What about on the pier when he was waiting for Albright? And then oh that stupid white girl just comes out and it's like starts talking to him. And he's I don't obviously... think she was stupid for talking to him. No. But... She, yes. No, she knew have, what she was doing. Yes. You have to know the consequences of your actions. He obviously was uncomfortable. He was looking away the entire time. He wanted out of this situation because a black man talking to a white girl on at a pier in 1948 is in danger and yes and i thought i said you think she was genuinely trying to get him in trouble i don't she wanted she was trying to make trouble yeah she wanted attention she wanted her boyfriend to come out and be like no this is my girl blah blah that's why okay there was a weird little moment of vindication when you saw albright walking up and like trying to strike people down but at somewhere along the line, like in the first five seconds, uh, when he pulled out the gun, I was like, okay, he crossed the line. Like Albright could have just stepped in on his behalf, but now the gun is in, in play. That's when you see Albright for who he is. Yeah, he's not standing up for him. He is just crazy for power. Yeah. Did anyone else? I mean, I kind of think we all knew he was shady, but yeah. like, did anyone else think that he was working? not for Carter or for himself or something else. Like when you find out he's working for Terrell instead. I, I was didn't a little bit like that until oh. they revealed it. I, I feel like I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> I kinda thought maybe he was looking for Daphne for his own purposes, but I didn't really clock that he was working for someone else. I absolutely knew he was shady. We well, all, yeah. like that's made clear Can we talk in the about very <laughs> first instance. His pencil thin mustache. I wish I had a oh my god! I mean, what do you want to say about it? I just want to say that immediately I saw that and I was like, "Well, now you have to be shady because <laughs> in 1995 they would not have the costume designer would not have put him in that mustache and made him a good person." Yeah, <laughs> Sarah, not okay, a good person yeah. mustache. There is one person that is allowed to both be represented as good in movies and have a pencil thin mustache, and his name is Walter Elias Disney. Is he a good guy? That Allowed to be represented guy? as a good guy in movies. That's, but it's not even that pencil thin. I just watched Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, it was not that. He was definitely there. What about John Waters? That's who I was going to say. Is he represented positively in movies? I mean, I know he's I mean, a good guy personally. Within specific subcultures. Yes. yes. Oh my, I just watched a documentary called Of Dolls and Murder, and he was the narrator, and it was amazing. I am sadly only aware of one role of his, and that is a paparazzi in which one of those? Seed of Chucky. <laughs> Since when have you seen that? Carrie, I'm looking at I'm checking in on the, has has in the horror genre. Sometimes there's interesting stuff there. They started Chucky off as a serious horror movie, and then they did another serious horror movie, and then they did a slightly less serious horror movie, and then Jennifer Tilly entered into the fourth movie, and I mean, on one hand, I was kind of thankful in having a female murderer in the mix, but on the other hand, things just got a little hammy. And then somehow he impregnated a doll. I don't want to know anymore. Yikes. (laughs) And then... We there don't was have seed of Chucky. Please, and then there was curse of Chucky. Let's go back to Albright. Let's go back to stop talking about this. <laughs> let's talk about. Um, 
I'll invite you all to stop talking about it and <laughs> come back to discussing the movie. Okay, what is what is with that guy trying to cut down everyone's trees? <gasps> who, who is that? What that is was I my doing? last note. Who is that guy? Who is the tree guy? They right. never explain it. I'm very, I really, I wonder if it's like in the book. Like it's like a, a thing, like a nod to the people who like the book or the series or like if it's just never going to be explained, like, maybe they were going to explain it in the sequel. Was it something to do with just, like, L.A. in the 50s? Like, late 40s that people want other people's trees? I don't get no. it. I don't know if he no, had, like, a tree he wasn't taking the trees. cut them down and sell them, or what? I, I don't think what if he, was he was taking the trees in any capacity was, like, where he could take them. Walking around. No, he wanted to, like, cut trees down. And I was just like... What if he's in the books and he's a veteran and that's why everyone tolerates him, but also they're like, stop cutting down my trees. I don't think he tolerates him at all. He chases him down the street. <sighs> he doesn't I... hurt him or anything, which he could. I guess he doesn't really yeah. chase him down until he does something that's like, I'm going for your trees. And he's like, and that, I mean, I trees. Like that guy. He was nice. He told him that <laughs> Frank Green what... was there and was going to hurt him. That's true. Yeah. Is this what... Is this what the world is like in the world of, I don't know, like, breakfast cereals or something? There's just one weird guy that steals weirdly specific things? Maybe. What breakfast cereals? What are you talking about? How many <laughs> breakfast cereals have somebody trying to steal the cereal? Uh, the I Cookie guess... Crisp Burglar. Tricks. Lucky Charms. I'm pretty sure Boo Berry and Count Chocula kept trying to steal the kids that were trying to buy each other cereal. I like how Count Chocula is just like, I just want to eat you children. <laughs> is he, though? No, I don't I think, think he so. wants the children to eat his chocolate cereal. I don't, I don't think he has an agenda. I think he's is just Count like, I'm a vampire, eat my chocolate cereal. I still is Count don't Chocula think... mixed race? I still <laughs> don't. That's not appropriate. I still don't think it's logical to link thieving serial characters with a man who wants to cut down his neighbor's trees. Explain to me what he's doing then! Mac, I don't, I don't think know. he's trying to steal the trees. I think it's a compulsion to cut, to beautify the neighborhood. And he maybe thinks the trees don't belong there, so he wants to sh cut them down. Then cut down the big trees like a man. No, don't cut down any trees. Yeah, I know. Don't yeah. Leave the trees, trees alone. I also oh. do that about... be a man thing facetiously. I don't actually hold that as an opinion. I love trees. Let's talk about Daphne. Oh, okay. Daphne. Did anyone else think she was kind of the weaker link in the movie? No. No. In what way? <laughs> she made sense. I guess sense. in the acting way. Oh. <laughs> I'm comparing her to all of the other dames in the noir movies we've watched, and out of all of them, she's probably the strongest character. I like the character. I like the idea, but I think the execution felt a little stereotypical. Almost. You wanted you wanted more depth there? I guess. You know what I think part of the problem was? Hmm. Was she wearing co like colored contacts? That was weird. I think she was. I think she had something going on with her makeup, face, hair. It was very, um, what's her name? Dita Vantis. Like, oh, yeah. kind of try to be the old, like, Betty Davis. Mm. Kind Betty of. Betty Page, you mean? Maybe? Yeah, probably. 
like she was almost like pin up, but from the head up, and then like, um, oh my god, I'm blanking on her name. Who was in <laughs> with Humphrey Bogart and Lana Turner? That's her name. I felt like she was trying to be Lana Turner from not Lana Turner. God damn it! This is annoying. What are you talking? What movie? I, yeah, you Kathleen Turner. No. <laughs> The person in charge what? of Star Wars? That's Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, right. Humphrey Bogart starred in the Maltese Falcon with who? Oh, I don't know about Maltese Falcon. I forget that. No idea. Okay, the Maltese well, Falcon. Anyway. Maybe it is Kathleen Turner. It's not Kathleen Turner. Basically, a noir star from the 1940s from the neck down and then a pinup girl from the neck up. I, that was just probably hair texture. Well, also, did anyone else not trust her the entire time because the title of the movie is Devil in a Blue Dress? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't catch it until they were like, was she wearing a blue dress? Or Yeah, yeah Todd like, Carter oh, was yeah. like, what was she wearing? Like, that was her sec- his second question about Daphne. That's very odd. Like, is she known for only wearing hey, blue what are you wearing? <laughs> no, this is kind of like, hi, my mother disappeared. Describe her. She's wearing a t-shirt. Right, like that's a weird thing. But I do wonder. I don't like that they call this movie that then, and then that's the name of the book because she's not the devil. She's trying to like get back with the person she loves by finding these photographs. She's pretty manipulative, though. Like it's she's extremely manipulative, but she's backed into a corner. Coretta dies because of her. Yeah, that that, McGee guy dies because of her. And she is kind of throwing this money around. And getting other people to do the work for her. Yeah. But I don't know. Also, I just didn't like that they were flirting. That she, like, with him flirting with her. But see, that's the thing. We're talking about this extra layer because you find out, like, like, it's he calls himself dumb, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah. He was like, yes, you are stupid. Like, because flirting with her is a bad idea. Yes. Like... All around. She, she, but, like, he kind of knows that she likes to hang out with black people and she likes the culture. And she was, he does think at the time she was dating a black Frank man. Green. Yeah. But also, like, I don't know. I she's, she's, like, almost the target. So. Mm-hmm. She is the target. But that, I guess that happens in literally every noir. And so. Did yeah. anyone else, like, I kind of knew. That she was not white the whole time. Really? I, here's the thing: I suspect I suspected there was something about facial features, but I didn't want to just base it off of my own premonitions and my own uh, my own associations with facial structure. Well, you know what's weird is like the first time we see her, it's in a picture in the newspaper, and my first thought was, "Wow, she kind of looks like Kamala Harris." <laughs> and in just that image, she does. But that kind of tinged my whole perception of Daphne the character. I didn't catch that at all, so. Yeah, I did not clock that. I I wasn't sure why they were all looking for her. At first I was like, is she just have like a magic vagina or something that all these dudes are trying to find her? Like, Like, where's that that mystery? (laughs) That happens in all these movies. I mean, it happened in The Nice Guys. It happened in The Pussy Magic. 
<laughs> half the time it's just like trying to find this woman like a woman has disappeared and someone gets hired to find her yeah but i and think everyone's like entranced by her for some yeah. reason and like that's like carter's looking for her albright's looking for her terrell's looking for her blah 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 What's even joppy knew her like what do you think would break the formula what if it was a dog have you seen john wick <laughs> no <laughs> no Okay, is you? John Wick hired to find a dog? No, I by somebody that doesn't dog, and then he goes on a rampage. Somebody, I don't know how I haven't seen it. I know. I'm really. I want to see all of them. I've heard they're great. The third one I've been hearing about a lot because Jason Matsukas was in it, and but the period of podcasts I'm in is when he was promoting it. What if there was a noir movie where they give the same kind of descriptions they would for a dame? But then it turns out it is a dog, and the detective doesn't know it until he sees the dog. Like <laughs> she's got beautiful flowing hair. She's she, she's big brown so eyes, big soulful she's a brown slinky eyes. little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she's got tum, a tum, tongue tum. a half foot movie. long. <laughs> oh, no grosser than okay. This is the first noir where the narration essentially just said and then i went on having sex until morning <laughs> and we can we talk about that sex scene that sex scene exact kind phrase, of and i went on hitting her spot till just before Yikes. sun up i was not comfortable <sighs> with that does anyone Nor else believe I. that no man in the 1940s was that good at sex <laughs> sorry but oh i, I don't, don't know. think none I have a book that's called The Modern Sex Manual, and it was published in the 1950s, and it is very funny in a very bad way. It's like, there's the men who would read that for guidance, and then there are the men who would use their experience as guidance. And I'm sure some of them were good. I mean, Casanova was supposed to be good at sex. I mean, he was good. Do you guys know my favorite Casanova fact? I don't, but I don't care. I'm telling you. He would literally carry around lemons, and then he would cut them in half and use them as like a contraceptive type device, mm-hmm. which actually worked because the acid would work almost as a spermicide, and then the lemon would work kind of as a diaphragm. Yeah. And like, oh, I thought that was going to be like, and that's how he got known as the pucker face well, lover or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more like how he barely had any children. Which is ridiculous, considering how many women he had slept with. How do you know? Is he a real person? Yeah, he wrote a book. Oh. I thought he was a fictional character. Being like, I go out and bang all the ladies. No, Casanova, I'm pretty sure he wrote his own autobiography. About how he banged all the ladies. So, yeah, this one Giacomo, man. Yeah, said he was great. Casanova was an Italian adventurer and author <laughs> from the Republic of Venice. I like how His I'm speaking in a New York accent. One of the most authentic sources of the customs and norms of European social life of the 18th century. Why does not talk about how the women he banged? Also, he's Denzel Washington with a mustache, so of course he's okay. <laughs> if he, even if he's not good at sex, I can't imagine it wouldn't be a bad experience so long as they're all consensual parties. There was actually supposed to be, they, I don't know if they shot it or cut it before they shot it, but there was supposed to be a sex scene between Easy Rollins and Daphne at one point. 
but oh. they cut it for time. Hmm. I don't think that needed to be in there. No, I agree. Yeah. It kind of, with Coretta, it makes sense because then, like, that's why he is, like, so dis- like disturbed by the fact that she was murdered. Yeah. But. And that they were kind of friends. Yeah. He, I did like that he was genuinely disturbed at all of the death. Yeah. He kept, like, Mouse kept killing people and he was just like, Mouse, stop killing people. Yeah. <laughs> Mouth? Was, oh, man. I, I, I want to say I was that. so I did, excited. I know. As soon as you see Don Cheadle's face, you're like, yes! He said, hey, I Don Cheadle! Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I think, um, I did like, though, that they showed he had emotions. He was angry. He was sad. And I liked that they had, um, what's his face? Dupree. Cry. Mm, like, yeah. when they were getting yeah. drunk. And he was, like, crying over the loss of his girl. And I was yeah. like, you don't ever see that with men, and you very rarely see that with black men. And they were and like, very rarely okay. see it in period movies. Yeah, they were like, like, it's let it okay. Out, man. Yeah, I actually really, I liked that a lot. What a healthy expression of emotion. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> right? it's okay, here, drink an entire thing of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Depending more so they could find the Bible. That, is, that, that, that guy's not in for a good morning. No. Woof. And did they specifically get him drunk so they could search his house? I think uh, Easy yeah. probably went to. I don't know if Mouse had that forethought. Oh no, Mouse was there to party. Yeah. Yeah. And shoot whoever he wanted. <laughs> and literally oh. pull his gun out on the person that wakes him. Yeah. Guns, uh, he's got guns. more than one. Yeah. I did think that was kind of funny that he had at least two guns. That was Wait, funny. And hold then up. in the what end. What was that guy that was described as a gunsel in, uh, in, um. Uh, oh, in Mosquito Will Yeah. I'm yeah. getting big Wilmer vibes off of that gun. Off of the gun, yeah. Off that of the man, small? not so much. Like Wilmer? Yeah. No, Wilmer's gun was like a big six shooter. Oh. Why he did had, I... he had guns yeah. that were too big for him? Not yeah. just him. I think uh Albright also had a gun that was like a foot long, and I was like, that's a revolver. No, not I in think the wild that... Oh yeah, because he used it to like hoist himself off the ground when he was dying. Yeah. That was an interesting death scene, because they just kind of stood there. Yeah. And stared. Watched. And I think it was a really interesting, like, button on this, like, action scene. Yeah. Because you're, like... I agree. Just staring at a dead guy for more than you do in a movie a lot of the time, especially when you didn't care about. Yeah. Yeah, and normally, like, I, kept, I was expecting him to, like, shoot him just to like have him die faster and put him out of his misery, but no, I don't think Easy wanted to. I was expecting that too. I was expecting like a headshot, honestly. But to be fair, if you know that somebody is a a murderer and b actively defending a pedophile, you kind of don't have a lot of feelings for them. Absolutely, and he broke into Easy's house. That is his house. And That's like his whole sandwich. deal. It's like my house. Yeah, yeah that was another thing that I loved about this is that one they did acknowledge that uh that property ownership you know property ownership is not uh very common amongst African Americans in uh period movies and so easy is literally just like I'm the only person that owns my house and that's my whole deal <laughs> another thing that I love about easy he's not a detective yeah yeah 
He's like a guy who's pretty good with guns because he was in the army, and then he worked for like an aircraft manufacturing plant. He was a machinist. Or did he work at an air? He was a machinist at an airfield, and then somebody's just kind of like, "Hey, I can't get into any of these clubs. I will pay you a hundred dollars to just find what this woman is." And he's smart, and he knows people, and that's kind of how he detects. It's like he. He was like, oh, this guy works for John Carter? I'm just going to go to John Carter and be like, what's the deal? Yeah. Go to the top, man. That was, yeah. That I like that about him, is that he's not like, with Philip Marlowe, you would have, like, the, the quips, and the, these are my ways of detection, and blah, blah, blah. But, like, Easy's just, like, going out and talking to people and asking questions. That's what Marlowe did, and following people. Hmm. <laughs> I'm forever going to defend my gay 1940s detective. <laughs> um, I really did kind of feel bad about Joppy in the end. Like that it yeah. was it was funny the way that Mouse was just like, "What? I didn't shoot him. You told me not to shoot him, so I strangled him instead." <laughs> <laughs> like that was the whole thing. Like that was the problem, but like Joppy had his bar with the marble that was left to him by his uncle. Yeah. And like But I mean he, he was did a boxer. He probably had some brain damage. <laughs> well the thing is he it's did kill because of his, his bare hands. Association with Albright, really, that was like Yeah. Wait, oh think. yeah. Because he, he knew Coretta, where she was right? and he also Did he kill Coretta? I yes. Yeah. Did he mean she, to Daphne no. Daphne said she sent Joppy to Coretta just to scare her because she had the letters from McGee. The pictures. The pictures. Okay, can we talk about... I don't know. I really don't know the track of this, and I don't... I think it's a testament to the movie and the acting and the storytelling that it didn't 100% matter. That's something Roger Ebert said. He's like, I, I liked this movie. I thought, like, the acting was good. The, like, scenery and the the like setting and everything was good but like the plot meh well no i'm not even talking i'm talking about the fact that it doesn't i can't track so like yeah mcgee had the pictures somehow and then the pictures were in an envelope and then somehow they ended up at coretta's house how did they get up there did junior take the pictures from mcgee and bring them but then because is junior the one who killed mcgee yes right and Junior then, killed McGee. He had the letters. Junior was the bouncer. I remember the how they got to Coretta. McGee, McGee was so drunk, and so she was like, go take McGee back to his house. So we took McGee back to his house, but he left with the letters that he gave. That's right, because he gave them to Coretta. Coretta to give to Daphne in the morning, because Coretta and Daphne were friends. Mm-hmm. But then, I don't get why Daphne would send Joppy to scare Coretta. I don't know something maybe it's about money but she was like i will pay so much money like she didn't care she paid mcgee seven thousand dollars for the letter or for the pictures pictures. yeah i don't know i don't get it either but i agree carrie i was i felt bad for joppy but also he killed people (laughs) yeah what about mcgee he died i don't get him sorry i don't don't really know know. so i mean i assume bad things about him because he has a mustache. He was in. He was the one who was talking to Denzel when Denzel was just about to head up to Joppy's bar, and that yeah. first 
bar. He was scene? trying to he was trying to get up to It the wasn't bar. Joppy's bar. It was the oh, bar yeah. over the it was the jazz club. Yeah, the jazz yeah. club over the like grocery store or whatever. Yeah. What yeah, is that trying lady to get up in? I forgot to look it up. The lady who owns the grocery store. She is really Hattie? familiar. Hattie? Thought that might be her name. Yeah, I do kind of feel like the narrative was a little confusing. But it's not what this is about. A hundred percent. The narrative. No. Like, we recognize the tropes of noir, and so then we can just follow the the action of the story. Yeah. It did. It was. It's so interesting that we watched this after reading The Big Sleep, because it's a lot of the notes are so similar, but so different at the same time. We had such a positive reaction to this one versus such a negative reaction to The Big Sleep. Speak for yourself. (laughs) But it is, yeah, like it's... No, yeah, but also, this is also written after the fact. That was written contemporary to the time. What, Maddie? Uh, Hattie is played by L. Scott Caldwell. And she is Rose in Lost. <gasps> oh my god! <gasps> yes, Maddie! Oh. I mean, I can't really take credit, because I no, just but... looked it up on IMDb. But I love Rose! I love Rose. I literally was thinking about rewatching Lost again, because I saw some gifts today of when they were walking in circles, and Sawyer was like, that's my favorite leaf. <laughs> it made me laugh. Didn't you... How many times have you brought up almost rewatching Lost? Seriously, every summer since the last time I rewatched it. <laughs> I think that That's was like 2014, maybe? Because I feel like that's when I lived at home and we watched Lost. I think <laughs> it, it was. And that was the last time I rewatched it, was with you. No, no, no. 2013. 2012? 2013. Yeah, Mac. Although there is one trope that I have to call this thing out for. Yes, please. The L.A. Observatory. Really? (laughs) You couldn't resist? (laughs) Wait. You couldn't hold off on that one? Do you think they were trying to pass that off as their house? No. I think they knew it was an observatory. It was a meeting spot. Okay. Yeah. Because they showed the house. They knew that it looked differently. They went to the observatory because they were like, screw it. They used it in The Rocketeer, and they used it in Terminator, and they used it in, I'm pretty sure, BoJack Horseman in one of the episodes. Yeah. So why the hell not just include it here? Mac, if you're talking about recognizable L.A. like world, especially back then, it's like the Ambassador Hotel, the Griffith Observatory, the Hollywood sign. That's kind of it. And even today, just there's tell not that me it's much. in L.A. One of the things about L.A. is they want it to be able to look like other cities as well. L.A. is like this weird mixture of cement grossness and then like Spanish style houses and then these weird courtyards. And I did love the courtyard where Junior lives because that's yeah. the, that is the, what those courtyards are that they talked about at the beginning of the big sleep. And I was able to picture it. It was like. That cool. was cool. It's a very Southern California thing. So cool. Okay. Well, that's enough about Los Angeles and how recognizable. <sighs> it may or may not be for shooting films. I mean, I think they probably wanted to just include it for like that little bit of like LA, 
Noir. Authenticity. Observatory. I don't, I don't know. Just have a murder happen in Oshkosh or something. We watched you know? Fargo. Or Fargo. <laughs> Fuck, that's right. We did. It's uh, not really a noir, though. No. I gotta say. Well, maybe. Some of them are. So, so we need... We need a, a noir. We need like a 40s, 50s noir in like Kansas. I'm sure they exist, you guys. We just aren't as familiar with the genre as we pretend to be. Probably. <laughs> we'll find it. I'm not pretending anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything uh, about that. The dame had overalls that went up to here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I feel like I've read something like that, but I I think it was a play, a joke play about Tennessee Williams. A parody? Yeah, it was like, like a, a satire because of all, all of Tennessee Williams stuff or like happens in the South. joke play, you might say. <laughs> yeah, satire. It's like a, a joke, joke play. play. <laughs> That's literally what... That's the joke. Satire. Katie just said, which is why I'm oh. making fun of her. Gosh, Carrie. Oh, okay. And now we're making fun of you for not getting my <laughs> hilarious joke. I'm sure it's just because well, I didn't I hear properly. I have a question. Sure. Would you have... And this is the episode I avoid mockery. Uh, it's not over yet. <laughs> mockery is not directed at you. Would you have gotten in Terrell's car? No. But that guy was very insistent. I mean, he kept chasing him on that bridge, right? But then, it's yeah. probably not the first person he has had to coerce to get into his car. Have gotten out of the car in that sh- creepy alley tunnel. I don't want any favors from that man. I guess it was giving me Who Framed Roger Rabbit vibes, which was fun. No, is that a mystery? No, yeah, that? I really think we should. I throw that on the list. It's absolutely a mystery. And it's traumatizing. I told you, I just watched that prop culture episode about it, which was really fun. I know. We I should know. just go through all of Carrie's traumas. And <laughs> yes! No! It should be Carrie's traumas Car- podcast. Ooh, Kiwi's Big Adventure the ne- one. The newest mystery. Kiwi's Big Adventure. A Mufasa's death scene. No! There's no basement <laughs> at the Alamo. No! God. You guys. Oh, God. That dinosaur scared me. Large Marge. Hello. Were there clown dentists? Would I nope, not remember that? There were absolutely. Right? He had a nightmare about clown dentists. Remember the giant clown that got were, chained up? He had real dentists. They were basically, you know what? They were basically putting his bike Sorry, in the Dan. dip, except it was in Pee Wee and not in Roger Rabbit. Remember they were like lowering it into acid? Yeah. Ah, I hate it. I just saw that actor. <laughs> she had to take her headphones off. She couldn't handle it. Off. She is out of here. Thank you, everybody, for visiting. The most of the oh, she's Stop it! Stop it! Okay, she's openly weeping now. She's openly weeping. We're cackling. Right. We could laugh like they do. You guys, uh, no, someone like steals anyway. his bike and he has to go find it. He's detecting where it is. So... I think it's gotta go on the list. He wouldn't be the first detective to go to a psychic. <laughs> we don't do that. How about that? <laughs> you gotta do it. It's going in the list. You know, it's one of like, Jeremy's favorite movies I will like, of all time. Steal it from the jar and it will never uh. come up.
All right. Uh, is anybody down to their last few notes? Because I'm well, I was just gonna a little say, bit scared. I was just going to say, let's do last notes. Yeah, let's do um, Katie, starting with you. Uh, okay. I liked the music a lot, but I was upset when I found out that they actually had a score written by, uh, I think, Edgar Bernstein, Elmer Bernstein, who's not related to Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein. but they are contemporary scores stuff. And that he's written a lot of amazing scores, but I guess when they were watching the movie, like during the edit, they had a temp track of a lot of period jazz pieces, and then they just kind of kept them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was sad, because I did really like the music, and then I found out it could have been other music, and then I was like, hmm. I liked Odell, the kind of nerdy guy. I liked that his friend from the bar in the beginning, and then with the glasses, and that he sat on the porch at the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought he was cool. Yeah. I thought it was funny they made an impotence joke, but that um, Dupree didn't get it. <laughs> I was obsessed with Coretta's lipstick compact. Did you see that? She opens that her cool. compact, but the lipstick is part of it. And I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And I'm 100% going to do some vintage research on old compacts with the lipstick already in it. That was cool. She opens it and it's like the it's on like on the hinge. Like it, it just pop, like it comes out. It reminded out. me a little bit of those travel alarm clocks that you see that are like one little pack, but then you open it and you flip it out and then you can have it be your like bedside clock if you're like in a travel salesman in nineteen fifty two. Yeah. Well, wow, like so relatable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um we talked cool. about the sex theme and that I did not think he should have gotten into that car. I liked that he was still bleeding from his head wound when he woke up because it showed that he didn't take care of it and there's nothing like it just kind of let you know like that people who get hurt in movies stay hurt. And it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he was concussed and stumbling up the stairs. Yeah. I would like to just bring up the fact that I'm a little bit I've never thought about this, but it hit me this time. When people are searching an estab- like a, a location for something, why do they always literally trash everything apart? Like, so when they were looking for the apartment to look for the letter, they're like ripping shit apart. And I was like, my first go would be to just kind of look for it and then put stuff back. And then if you can't find it, that's when you start like ripping open cushions and whatever. That's probably what literally well, we know happened. that they couldn't find it. Cause have you ever tried to find, I don't know, just like a handwritten note with like an old password on it? I mean, I'm not mom, so no, <laughs> but I get what you mean. I do think that that is what happened though. Like, it makes like you don't want to start out throwing things around because then you can cover up something that's just out, and then it doesn't make sense for where you should look. The only thing I but, could think of is if you were in a hurry and you didn't want to put stuff back, but then you're still making noise. It's for sorting purposes. Everything I've looked at is on the floor now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why I wrote this note, but I just said, you're the one who shot Frank, exclamation point. So I was probably talking to Mouse in my head. Yeah. Um, I... I liked that they just had hot sauce when he was eating the pigtails. And I feel like that was a very cultural, like, 
touch that a white director would not have put in necessarily. Um, I love the. Did you see the clothespin hanger hanging outside of? Two yes, Pines? yes, I noticed that. <laughs> yes, it was like, we literally us. still do somewhere, and I was like. I mean, she still has that clothesline in the I'm back. I'm pretty sure that clothespin hanger is from the 50s. I think it was grandma's. And mom took it, or, I don't know, she made it for her. Or, or bought, or bought one. one. Yeah, 100%. I just thought that was really it's cute. It's probably in the laundry room right now. I know, I'm thinking I have seen it in the laundry room on the that rack above the iron, I think. We're gonna have to find it. Yeah. And then, actually, we covered all my other notes except the last one. Which, I guess, yeah, we should talk about this. Do you think you should still be friends with shitty people? <laughs> like, Odell said yes, but I was like, I don't know if I'd still be friends with Mouse. Like, all you have is your friends. I mean, I guess back then, it was harder to make a connection. They don't have the internet. They couldn't find a lot of people. So if you have a connection with someone you grew up with. But... I think, I think there's a threshold of forgiveness. So shooting a bunch of people is okay, <laughs> as long as they're helping you get seven thousand no, no, no. dollars. No, that's not my threshold. I think there's a certain level of shitty behavior that can come out of a friend that you might be like, "This might improve. They might uh, realize uh, something's better," or it might be a kind of shitty behavior that doesn't necessarily harm people in a way that you might care about. I don't know. Morality is. Gray. Cut and dry in some places and gray in yeah. others. It's a gradient. Because, like, white is white and black is black, but gray can be, like, something can be darker gray, something can be lighter gray. If you're looking at the, gray is the moral spectrum. In yeah. the middle. Okay, yeah, I just, at the very end, I was a little bit like, I don't know. And also, like... I mean, I wouldn't be friends with Mouse. <laughs> well, I would not be friends with Mouse either, but I didn't grow up with Mouse. Actually, I mean, Mouse didn't try to shoot easy. Maybe that's his line. <laughs> that's your threshold. He kind of he almost, almost did, did though. <laughs> he did, yeah. When he was drunk, it's not like he meant to. Oh, man. So oh. you can excuse Only it. I can use that excuse. Um, I actually, <laughs> oh, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. That's and I just want to say that I thought the acting was really good. And I think I'm really, I'm really surprised it didn't do that great because Denzel was famous, was, had, he had one Oscar and at least two noms at this point. Like, he wasn't an unknown entity, and it's a good movie, and I'm just really curious. Like, I don't, maybe, is it because it was a bunch of black actors, and people were just, like, not interested? Or was it, like, they thought it was a movie that was more for the black community than the white community, or vice versa? Like, I don't know. It's potentially a confluence of events. Like, sometimes these things fail because they're um, put up against a really big blockbuster at the movie theater. Sometimes they fail because they don't get enough marketing power behind yeah. them. And sometimes those decisions are made because there aren't uh, people of color at they the top. They pretend that there is you know, a so market for it, so they don't have to market, market it. it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, there's an... There's an a number. I guess it's gotten more and more notoriety after the fact, which is good. Like, yeah. I read an article from April of this year about the movie, because they were like, here's all the great movies you can stream in quarantine. And they were like, this... Mm-hmm. Wait, was this on a streaming service? I think at the time it was on Hulu, but, you know, things mm-hmm. changed. I had to rent it. 
Same. Um, I obtained it legally. Are those all of your notes, Katie? Yes. Acting was good. I thought everyone was great, except maybe Daphne, but maybe that's just me. Um. Okay. Maddie? Um, most of my notes were just trying to keep up with the plot. Yeah. And, like, maybe try and guess it. Um, I like how, I forget who said this, but I wrote down, out of breath, and then, quote, I need a cigarette. Um, (laughs) That was easy, when he carried Dupree into the house. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow. Was this back when asthma cigarettes were still a thing? Or is that a 40s thing? Probably. Or a 20s thing, I mean. I don't know. Um, and then when Coretta, not Coretta, um, Daphne called easy to come see her. I said, this is obvi a trap. I, I was just, there was always the low level anxiety that easy was going to get caught by white people doing like the quote unquote wrong thing. And yeah, I don't know. I was, I can't imagine have been, like being like a black person living in that time or being a black person kind of ever. Because now. it's just not my experience. But yeah, just a, even him even going just into a little that taste hotel. is like terrible. Yeah. Um, and I I thought that the police killed Coretta. Trying to get, I thought the whole thing in the beginning or towards the middle was them trying to find the jazz club. Oh. Um, but like like the guy who um, McGee. I thought McGee was a police agent trying to get in. Oh. That'd be interesting. Yeah. They hmm. could just, if they had enough officers, just, like, go in. I mean, we all knew that McGee was going to be important, even just from the beginning. I don't I know. I didn't really know that in the beginning. I didn't know that no, in the beginning. I just thought about it after time. he died. I thought the tree guy he was going to be important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought he was, yeah. too. I thought he was going to, like... And that's where the gems were No, hit. I thought he was going to, oh. like, tell easy that something had happened at his house and then we were going to find something out and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And my last two notes are uh, what's with the tree guy? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad Odell is the BFF he gets out of this. Yes. Yes. I like that. Yeah. I think they were BFFs before. I think they were friends, but maybe not yeah. best friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> I think just Odell eating that sandwich at the club, I was like, "You're at a like dance bar, and you're eating like yeah. a white." I bar felt for him so much, <laughs> just like being at a place where you're kind of uncomfortable, but all your friends are there, and <laughs> they're just, lowering like, with, like your bike into a shut up. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, I had two notes afterwards. The first one, I can't remember the exact lines that they spoke. But there was this small moment when Albright was just having a little conversation with his goons. And I was like, eh, you don't usually see that. You don't usually see just, like, two goons hanging out. Yeah. Uh, you goons. goons. No, no, no. Because that's, that's one of the, like, cinematic, like, tiny conversations that people tend to have. Like, I've never seen it, but also mild spoilers for The Godfather, just because I know what happens in this one scene. Apparently, there's the scene where somebody gets whacked, 
because they have this long conversation in a car next to like a defunct toll booth or whatever it was. And then after this very long conversation, just like four mobsters just pop up like prairie dog style and just gun down everything inside of the car. And there's always this conversation people have about that movie where it's like, what were they doing? What were they talking about? Because they would have had to wait hours and hours and hours at that phone booth. There was no car nearby, so they oh, they would have had to yeah. like walk there. So there's the always, four dudes, you mean? Like the guys this... who pull out the Tommy Von Sunny? Okay. Yeah. There's always that notion that goons just have some kind of weird inner life that we don't well, think about. Well, have you ever watched Pulp Fiction? Uh, yes. I feel like that's partly we... that movie. We all okay, watched it together. Okay, that definitely counts. Did we? I fell asleep. All right. And my <laughs> final note, I didn't know about Terrell yet, but uh, one of his lines about uh, the racism of police in L.A. was, that has to change. And my one note was, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck God. with that mayoral candidate in the 1940s right? about addressing racism in LA pol- in the L.A. police department. Fun with that. Super sucky. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm pretty sure all of my notes have been touched on. Um, there. Daphne started to cry when she thought she could use that to get someone to do what she wanted. Um, there's a lot of people just wearing brown clothes. It's a lot, <laughs> a lot of brown clothes. But um, that's period. It is, I know, but that's just a, a note that I have. Oh, okay. Um, I felt bad about the marble when Easy was hitting it because Joss really cared about it, and that was sad. Choppy. Um, Although, in a in a in like a white guy like angry detective story, that definitely would have been like the guy behind the bar. You don't yeah. usually see property destruction as impetus. Sorry, I interrupted. Go on. That's okay. Um, there was one more that I had, and now I forgot about it. Um, I really liked that shot at the end when he's like just looking down his street, and then you see Easy, and then there's like the palm trees in the background. He's just happy. You're like, I generally Good. walk around wearing a tank top down my street. <laughs> Don't you guys? Yeah. Well, it's like. That's something that um, was pointed out in a book I was reading recently about, like, the 50s and how, you know, no one has air conditioning. So, like, the everybody's windows are open. People are outside on the streets talking and hanging out. And, like, you, there's, like, a more of a neighborhood vibe. A community vibe. We don't. Yes, exactly. Which now that, like, we have, like, the internet and air conditioning, everyone's just, like, secluded in their little pod homes. Especially now. Especially now. <laughs> yeah. We were driving down. Yeah, I remember people. <laughs> we were driving down the street today, and we were like, are those our neighbors? And we didn't know which ones they were, because we saw two people walk. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that was just, it was cool. I liked that whole vibe of the neighborhood in the end, with, when he's just, like, looking and, like, those are his people, but didn't, you know, those are... Because I think I read that Roger Ebert one, too, and you talked about, in the 90s, this would have been especially poignant, because the riots had happened in the past 10 years, like the Rodney King riots, and the LAPD, and that area of Los Angeles, South Central, had, like, really gone through a lot of bullshit. And so, like, seeing it yeah. when it was new and beautiful, and this, like, families thing... 
I remember what my other note was going to be. Um, in the interview room at the police station, there was like a red stain on the wall. Did anyone yes. see that? I was like, no. did they just beat people up and leave it there? It's very so. gross and unsanitary and sad. And intimidating for anyone else who comes in. Yeah. At first I thought it was his, but it was more brown. Like it had rusted. Yeah. Like bloody rust thing. Yeah, he didn't bleed that much out of his head yet. <laughs> um, After the cop beat him. I forgot. We should probably talk about the mystery a little bit, maybe. We did, right? Well, just that it was hard to follow. And, uh... We did. There was, like, the the letters um, that was not actually a letter. It was uh, pictures of the mayoral candidate molesting children. And so she had the pictures. Terrell knew that uh, her mom was black and so it's like mutually assured destruction i guess okay there man then do you want to talk about the pbs okay <laughs> yeah katie what's our pbs anyone have a guess on how great it is i'm gonna say there's not three ladies and 27 men i went with four ladies um i did keep hattie because she did get her name and Barbara is yeah. the girl on the pier, and they did call her Barbara a few times, so she kind of had a name. Barbara! So there's four women and 18 men. <laughs> Boom. And all those men had a name. Even the war, cops, war. like, they told them their name. The only people, and I didn't actually count them, so I guess it doesn't matter, were the henchmen, who maybe said, like, one or two lines, but they didn't get names, so I didn't count them. I did like that one of the henchmen yeah. was Asian. I did want to say that. I don't know why. I just like that it wasn't just another mobster-type Italian guy. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, alright. Ratings. Mac. Um, as a mystery, it was a little bit difficult to follow, but they did still have some stuff on there. You could make some educated guesses. I'm gonna say 7.5 out of 10. As a movie... It was pretty solid. It followed a structure that works. I would give it 8.5, maybe, out of 10. Okay. Maddie? Um, yeah, I'd say 8 out of 10 and for, for movie. And then Stabs, I would say 6. Because the whole letter thing, maybe. I don't know. 7? Okay. Seven. Is that your final answer? Yes. Katie. For the stabs for the mystery, I think I'm going with six, only because it was a little confusing, and I wasn't quite sure how the pictures came to be in McGee's possession, and how Daphne knew about it, and that whole thing. But I also want to acknowledge that, again, like the mystery doesn't 100% matter, it's about the character's atmosphere following him on his journey through it so and then as a movie yeah i think i would go probably a solid eight i think there were minuscule times it felt a little bit like a lot of movies of the 90s that are like trying to like show (laughs) the plight of the black experience sometimes see the thing is i want to say it fell into a lot of those 90s tropes but I'm like, but did it really? Or was it just showing it accurately? I don't know. 
Eight. I'm going with eight. Okay. Um, for me, I would say uh six for the mystery because of the uh pre discussed note slash pictures. Um and for the movie I'd say seven point five. I liked it. Thought it was good. Okay, so um that's our take on devil in a blue dress so if you want to know what we're talking about at all next time we're going to be watching um hawaii 50 the og series so it's going to be season three episode 11 over 50 steel there's a question mark in the middle of that <laughs> over 50 <laughs> steel um, okay. And so if you, uh, liked anything we had to say, hated anything we had to say, wanted to comment, um, submit questions or mysteries we should do, we have, uh, an email, mostly murder, but sometimes not at gmail.com. We have a website, mostly murder, but sometimes not.com. And we have an Instagram and Twitter. Um, our handles on both of those are at mostly murder pod. So, that's all of our info. Um, thank you for listening. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Thank Thanks. you. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Oh my god, what are you doing? <laughs> Jesus, and she's running out of the room. She is traumatized. She's internalizing it. And she has run off into the okay, night. Okay, we're done. Bye. We're done. Bye, Bye. everybody. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>